How many of you have learned something that has taught you to say it is well? When you don't feel like it's well, but you've learned how to say it's well. It is the new year, and we have made it, and God is good to us. And through all the difficulties, all of the things, the moments you might have had in 2017, I want to announce to you that you can declare that it is well. That God is working for your good, that he's for you, and that God knows what you need and know to, knew today that he needed you here to be a part of this worship experience and to be a part of the family of God. Well, good morning, church. I want to welcome those again who are here for the first time. We are so glad that you are here. Uh, we can't say enough of praise to God for him and trusting you with us today, or us, you with us, and we just pray that you are blessed in every single way and that you are overwhelmed with love and support and know that this is a church that wants to walk alongside of you, not tell you what to do, but regardless of what, what your background is or where you came from or what you're struggling with, that you are amongst family and that we help each other and that we love you. Am I telling the truth, church? This is the place where God has brought you today. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, this beginning of the year, we love to have our senior pastor, Pastor Sergio Menente, preach to us, but unfortunately, he is not feeling well. And I am grateful um, that, as he called and, and told us he wouldn't be able to come, um, I am grateful that he actually was here because he was coming from the East Coast. And so he would have maybe been caught by the big storm that's over there, but God was fortunate enough to bring him here. And so he's home and he's resting and he just wanted to relate to you how much he misses you and how much, how excited he is on um, beginning this new year. And on behalf of our pastoral staff, myself, Pastor Fred, as we support him and hold him up, I thought we'd just take a short moment to pray for him today that he would recover and pray for Nancy and his family. Can we do that? We just want to bow, Lord, our heads right now. Lord God, we just want to stretch our hands in faith over to our pastor, Pastor Sergio Menente's house, and ask that you would fill him with strength, that he would recover and be stronger than ever, and that as you have chosen him to lead this flock, we are grateful for him and his leadership, and pray that you will bless him abundantly as he leads this church into the, in this year. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm grateful today to be able to share uh, something with you. You know, sometimes the Lord uh, has these things in mind and we don't know it. And so I I'm praying today that you'll be blessed by something I want to take you through. And so before we do that, I just want to set a few things up. I'm going to need uh, at least four deacons to, to come forward really quickly. I want to pass something out. Uh, what I want to do today, and the reason I have this chair, is I want to walk through something with you. And I'm going to be a little, a little uh, Andy Stanley here today and sit down on the chair and walk through this with you, because as we begin a new year, uh, what I want you to do is begin to understand and kind of explore this idea that God has his vision for your life for this year. Now, I only printed 75 copies, and for those of you who are, you know, digitally savvy, what you can do is go to our Facebook page, go to our Facebook page, and there should have been a post posted about 15 to 25 minutes ago, and that will give you a link to this very same document. So if you know how to pull that up on your phone and write it on your phone, you can do that. If we do need more copies, uh, someone should be able to, to make those copies for you. But I only printed 75, so if you know for sure you need a hard copy, just raise your hand and make sure they give you a hard copy. But this is going to be something uh, as an activity and something that you're going to fill out. Now, I have a few things to write on as a couple pencils. If you got a pen, go ahead and pull it out. Um, but we're going to do this together. So I'll give you a few minutes for you to look up online if you need to on your Facebook page, on our Facebook page. And if you're not, uh, haven't liked our page, please do so. And do that, and you'll see the post there that should say link to today's handout. And if you click that on an Apple device, you have to open it up in iBooks to be able to write in it because it is a fillable um, document. So if you don't do it uh, today on your phone, you can do it later and you can fill it in. So it is a fillable document. If you're on an Android or some other Philistine device, I can't help you. So I can only help you with an Apple product. I am not endorsed by Apple yet. Um, hopefully, 
I don't know. Maybe they'll send me something. Who knows? So I'm just going to take a second to get that. And really what's nice about this today is you get to participate uh, in the message. In fact, that's really what preaching should be. It should be a dialogue uh, back and forth together. Amen? So whether you realize this or not, this is a black church. Somebody ought to say amen. Um, so you can, you can go home and brag to all your friends. They can say, I got a black neighbor. I got a black best friend. Well, I, I go to a black church. And my pastor's black, so I don't want to hear it. So you can go back and brag about that. But this is my reason I say that is because, you know, when I, when I like to present, it's a, it's a conversation. It's a dialogue. And, and that's a definitely uh, in the black church tradition what preaching is. And so I'm glad to engage with you this morning. As, as soon as they get done, I'm going to say a word of prayer. And we're going to get started. So just by, just to kind of let me see, how are we doing? Do we need some more? We're going to need lots more? You're going you're gonna to take care of it? Um, if you know how to run the copy machine, just volunteer, which probably be a small group of people who know how to use it. But if you do, if somebody can, you got it? Okay, thank you. I'm not sure. We're going to find out. How are we doing so far? Does everybody have, I know there's more than 75 people in here. Okay, great. I didn't know if I need to check with the finance committee. Full color, back. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> what I'll do, since our deacons are so stealth and so so great, I'll just go ahead and pray while they're uh, while they're still handing it out. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this new year, for this opportunity to begin to discover what you want to do with us this year. And I pray that this will be a blessing, and I pray that it will help us as we go forward. In Jesus' name, Amen. I should also mention that I also intended this for our children to participate in, too. So don't skip them by. If the children want to participate, we are more than welcome to have them do that. If they already have your phone and are using your device during church, just pull that up for them and let them follow that along. All right? So talking about discovering God's will for your life is a big subject. And I, I, it sounds like a book. It sounds like something Joe Osteen would write or something like that. And, uh, you know, it sounds a little intimidating in some ways, right? Discovering God's vision for your life. I mean, how many of us have really even figured out what God wants us to do? It's kind of a, a lifeline, lifelong process. So specifically today, I, I don't want you to feel like today you are going to leave knowing exactly what God has called you to this earth to do. Some people might. That may be the greatest miracle. But what I really want to do today is kind of put it in a context. I want to put you in context, especially focusing on 2018, because that will reap what you, you will reap what you sow this year, next year. How many of you are reaping what you sowed in 2017 now? Right? And sometimes when we forget to sow, we don't reap. When we don't sow into something, we don't reap. But this is really the metaphor, and this is the way I really want to describe this, um, is that vision is really getting a glimpse of God's will. If I were to draw a huge circle, and I'm working on improving, like Pastor Frey with the props, if I had a big circle, right, if you see that in your mind, a huge, huge circle, uh, circle is really the best diagram I could think of, think of that and put that in your mind as most theologians would call it, God's sovereign will. Now, do we understand what, what, that's, what that word sovereign means? Because in the United States, we don't really live under a kingdom. We don't have a king or a queen or a monarchy. But that word sovereign means that God is really the one who makes, who has the authority in, in, this, in all things. So we understand the Bible to teach us about God, that he is sovereign. Right? He is all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing. He is sovereign in the universe. There is no one above him. And so his will, he has a sovereign will. Have you ever heard that before? So if you were to think about this big, huge circle, and you were to draw this circle, you could call that God's sovereign will. And that will doesn't just include you. It doesn't just include 
uh, the people that you know. It includes the entire world. Really, it includes the entire universe. The created worlds that we have nothing, know nothing about. All of that works and fits within God's sovereign will. Now, look, there's really no way for us to understand the depth of that because that's why God is God and we are not. But his sovereign will is, is what he's trying to do in terms of, and, and what we know about God too is that he's really, he's able to go in and out of time. We understand things in time, right? Because we, we have a, a, a start date and an end date, but God kind of jumps into time. He's not limited by time, but he engages and jumps into time. It's, it's really powerful and complex to think about who God is. And so really his sovereign will is not only uh, a temporal thing, but it's also eternal. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in the everlasting gospel. That is the gospel that is, sustains all time. It is a gospel that never goes away. It is a gospel that really relates to eternity, which we believe the Bible tells us that that is the gift for those who follow Christ, is to be able to be with him throughout all eternity. Anybody looking forward to that? Now, what it does not do is make us eternal beings. Because we are gifted eternal life doesn't mean that we are internal beings. It just means that we are able to live with God and be with him for all eternity. So when you think about the scope of what he has already done or where, who he already is and also what he will be and what will happen, God sees that in that perspective. And so think about his sovereign will. Now, theologians would, theologians would also agree that there are two other components to this. If you had this big circle in your mind, you have two smaller circles. You can even write it on your paper if you want it. There is his permissive will and his per- perfect will. His permissive will and his perfect will. His permissive will are the things that God allows in the context with his sovereign will. You still with me? You guys are bright people, so I'm just, you know, I know you are. And so his permissive will is what he allows. Even It is not what he creates or what he does, but he allows. By default, what is powerful is that even though God didn't do it, he will assume responsibility for it. That's deep. Because it is in the context of his sovereign will. So as a parent, and you have a child... And you know that if you let that child have too much candy before they go to bed, they're not going to bed. Right? So, so you say, or, or you say that this child wants to wear what they want to wear to school today, right? And they have to wear clothes, so that's not an option. But you can say you can either wear this sweater or this sweater. Right? So that is the permissive will. That God does not control. And that's what's difficult to understand about God because as he gives us free will, we're created in his image. He gives us free will. There are people who do things that are contrary to God's nature. If you look in the Old Testament, there were things that the enemy clearly did. It was not God's character. However, God assumed responsibility for it because he was trying to teach them that there were not many gods, but there was one God. So he says, even though I didn't do that, I'll take responsibility for that so that you can even blame me for it, but understand that this is in my sovereign will. So there are things that God permit, is permissive of, and that still works in the context of his will. Now, the, his perfect will are the things that he does for us that we didn't even know about. So in order for us it to be accomplished, God perfects things for us without us even having to do it or knowing about it. He just does those things for us so that he helps us as his sovereign will is accomplished. Does that make sense? So when he caused you to be born, when you were born, you were born into a context. You were born into a set of parents. You were born into a certain family. Some of us were born into a, even a difficult situation, even an abusive situation. And we struggle with that because, okay, did you allow this ha- to happen to me or did you place me in this situation? And how does this really affect your ultimate will? And so 
God puts us wherever he puts us. We're raised in that context, and then we are sent to where we are. I believe very confidently that God has called you to this church. But he's called you to this church, not just for you, but as a part of us collectively accomplishing what his specific will is and his vision is in the city of Richland in 2018. Does that make sense? Okay, so when you see, talk about God's vision, you're really talking about seeing it the way he sees it, what his will is, and how does that fit into my will. So let me take you through a a few texts, and uh, let's look at this together. First, let's look at Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, um, and you might have, it's probably going to be on the screen, so I'll just use that because those guys are absolutely the truth. Look what the Bible says, Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God. There is none like me. Look what it says in verse 10. Only I can tell you the future before it happens. Look at God flexing his muscles, right? Only I can tell you that. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Listen to that. Listen to what God is saying. I am God, I am sovereign, and whatever I plan will come to pass. That's why that's reason for a rejoice. I got to be careful because I got a lot to go through. I'm going to really start getting off this couch, but I mean off this seat. But that's why you got to rejoice and understand that God's plan for you is stronger than the plan of the enemy for you. In fact, the enemy doesn't even have the power to plan for you. He just tries to disrupt your plan because the enemy is limited. He's not God. All he tries to do is step in the way. But God is so deep that he can take the cancer. He can take the bad news. He can take the abuse. He can take whatever happens that he permitted and still turn it for his will. So don't let him give up. Don't give up on God because he's not going to give up on you. Now let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. And looking at verse 6, then 10 and 11, and then verse 20. Here's what the Bible says. And this is God's plan, both Jews and Gentiles who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. By Jews and Gentiles, he just means church people and unchurched people, right? People far away from God, people who perceive themselves to be close to God, all of us equally share the riches of his, of his inheritance. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Okay? God's plan. Let's keep going. In verse 10, God's purpose or God's plan or God's will or God's vision is all this, in all this, was to use the church to display his wisdom in, his rich, in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now think about that for a second. The text is saying that God wants to use the church. His plan is to use the church. Who's the church? Yeah, you're the church because you're the church where you go. We don't all go with you to your job. We don't all go home with you, right? We don't all go where you go. We are many churches. We are already a 250-site location church. We're already multi-campus church because wherever you go, that's where the church goes. And so it's his desire that through the church, he might display his wisdom. He might show the world that he's got it figured out. Then verse 11, this was his eternal plan. We talked about eternal, right? So that's what his plan before time even began. That's how deep God is. God doesn't just respond to things on a whim. He's got it all figured out. He's a chess player. Okay? He, he has the move before you even knew you lost the game. He's already done. Right? He's already beat the world. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ Jesus carried out this plan for us to have this wisdom. Verse 20. Some of you read this and heard this before. Now all glory to God who is able... Through his mighty power at work within us, right? His power is working where? In us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all 
generations forever and ever. I wish I could unpack that verse. I can't, but it's on your paper so you can look at it later. Or at least it should have been. It's okay. So let's take it another text. This is Psalms 33, 10 through 11. Look what the Bible says here. Psalms 33, 10 through 11. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations and thwarts all their schemes. Can we just translate that real quick? Don't be afraid of war in North Korea. Don't be afraid of wars and rumors of wars. It might happen, but don't be afraid of it. Why? Because the Lord frustrates the plans of the nations. Even the things that the nations would try to do, he thwarts it. He frustrates it. Why? Because he understands his sovereign will and what he will permit and what he will not permit. And what he will perfect and what he will not perfect. Verse 11 says, but the Lord plans, the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His is, sorry, intentions can never be shaken. What joy for a nation whose God is the Lord, whose people have, he has chose as an inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the, the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. Are you starting to get the picture here? That God's handling business. Last one, Proverbs 19, 21. Proverbs 19, 21 says this. You can make many plans. But the Lord's purpose will prevail. So, so here's what I'm talking about here. Following Christ, this is what this means. That when you follow Christ, you are constantly surrendering your will. Because we're made, right, it is hard. Because we're made in his image. And so guess what? We have our own will. And in a lot of ways, we are sovereign in our own way. We have our own sense of sovereignness that we kind of decide what we want to do. And God says, cool, you can decide what you want to do. I'm not going to take away your sovereignness. I'm not going to interrupt, and I'm not going to interject into your will. If that's the plans you want, that's fine. But guess what? Your plan's not going to mess up my plan. I'm just telling you. Your, your decision is not going to mess up what I'm doing. And what I'm asking you to do is even though your plan is good, what I'm trying to teach you to do is align your will with mine. So the more you're like me, the more our wills will be the same. And so God's vision for you is in the context of what he's trying to do through you. So if God uses the church to show his wisdom and he's called you to be a part of the church, that means he's depending on you to do what he wants to do in the world. So today is really about preparing you for the crisis. I wrote this down. For the crisis that will come as you discover God's will for your life. Because here's the problem. You're going to have this New Year's resolution. You're going to have this vision for, your, for God God's, has for your life. And then you're going to hit a crisis. Right? And I'm, I'm preparing you. I love what the, uh, the philosopher Mike Tyson had to say. The philosopher Mike Tyson had to say, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> That's what Mike Tyson says. And he's absolutely true that, that when you hit that crisis mode, here's some things, is that our natural human response opposes surrender. That's our, that's our natural default. When we're in crisis, we do not want to surrender. Has anybody ever been a, is, there's a few lifeguards in here? I think I know a few people are lifeguards. Have you been a lifeguard? Let me see your hand real quick. Okay, one, two, there we go. So if somebody's drowning, what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to save them. But if they're fighting and going crazy, I'm told that you're not supposed to respond right away, right? Because they can, they can pull you down. And so when we're in a crisis, you know, our natural sense is to panic and not surrender to the process. And surrendering takes practice. It takes practice. If you are married, you should be good at surrender by now. <laughs> Especially if you're a man. You ought, to be, you ought to be good at that. It takes practice. It takes a daily thing. 
Um, it's like driving in the snow. If anybody's from cold weather place, I grew up in Minneapolis. So uh, when I learned how to drive in the snow, when you're spinning, do you know what you're supposed to do? <laughs> Somebody said nothing. That might be a good choice, but there is another choice you're supposed to do. What are you supposed to do? Anybody know? No, you don't go the opposite way. You spin, you turn into the spin. Did you know that? It counterintuitively, what we think is we're spinning this way, we spin that way. But that's really not the way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to spin, turn into the spin. It's counterintuitive. But that's what surrender does for me, for us. It's counterintuitive, but it's still true. Now, I want to take you to, uh, let, me, let me show you this verse too. Proverbs 14, 12. Proverbs 14, 12. Uh, here's what it says. There is a path before each person that seems right, but in the end... It ends in death. That's a little scary verse, isn't it? But it's true. Because there's, there is a way, there's an option that we have. But if we're not surrendering to God, we are left under the consequences, watch this, of our own will. Our own vision, our own decision. And God's not going to mess with that. But let's keep in mind, there is his permissive will, but there's also his perfect will. And there are some things God in his mercy and his grace for us doesn't allow to happen to us. And sometimes we never even know it. And so Jesus teaches us how to overcome this crisis. When we're faced with this crisis this year, and, we're, and the rest of this is going to be really you filling this out and starting to kind of discover what God has for your life. But before we hit that crisis, which is going to come, um, Jesus teaches us how to overcome this by accepting God's vision for our lives. In other words, the way God sees it, what he's doing, giving us a glimpse of what he's trying to do, and that helps us overcome that. And it begins with trying to figure out and seeing how we fit in God's big picture, right? Because God has a big picture. How do we fit in that? So let's take, that, let's take you to that text. Uh, that is in, can you find Matt, Matt, Mark 14? And uh, I think we'll read a couple verses, but Mark 14 and ver uh, chapter 14. Yeah, I said that. Mark 14, right around verse 36. Verse 36 is where we're going to really focus on. So this is the Garden of Gethsemane, right? This is where Jesus, right before the cross, as we talked about in our song today, right before the cross, he's praying. Verse uh, 35, actually verse 34 says, Jesus says, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief. It's to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch for me. He went on a little bit further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering from me, yet... I want your will to be done, not mine. Can you see the crisis? Jesus is facing a crisis in his humanity. He does not want to go through this. Look, he's not, we're not talking about the suffering of physical pain. We're talking about the, the weight of, first of all, having sin and experiencing it for the first time. And not just his sin, all of our sins. Imagine how he felt. The disgust and the filth of wearing the weight of the sins of the world in him. He didn't want to do that. And he didn't want to be disconnected from his father. That was a crisis. He'd never, ever been disconnected from his father, ever. Never doesn't know what that feels like to not hear his father's voice. Doesn't know what that feels like to be separated from him. And so he's trying to figure this thing out. He's in a crisis. But I love that even in a crisis, Jesus knows how to teach us something. So in this, what I tried to do, and when I looked at this really carefully and studied this, I saw five things. Now, there's more things. I, I actually encourage you to go study this and, and share some more with me. But I, find, I found kind of five things in light of trying to discover God's vision, God's will, hitting that crisis, and knowing how to push past it. I found five things here in what he says, and they're based on these things. And you'll see this on your paper. 
First one is relationship, right? Because you see in verse 36, what does he say? He calls him what? Right. He, he understands his relationship with his father. He says, and you can leave that text up. It would be fine. He says, Abba. He says, Daddy. It's a, it's a term of endearment. He's crying out to his father. He knows the relationship with his father. He knows that this is his dad. And he, and he speaks according to that. He, he references God, his father, according to that. He speaks to his father, right? That, there's a relationship there. Secondly, the fact that I put the word communication. Here's why I say that. Did you realize that these scriptures that record Christ praying were prayers that he prayed out loud? Right? Because someone heard this. And Christ often prayed out loud, but even, even more than that, Christ actually prayed about it. Now, it's weird to think why he's even praying, because you'd think they were so close, right? And it's weird that he's even praying out loud, because some of us would skip that. We just think about it. We just try to figure it out in our head. We don't actually sit down and pray, but there's a, a, um, an agent of communication there. There's a vehicle there. Well, he says, I'm on, not only am I going to pray, but I'm going to pray this thing out loud. Somebody's going to hear me praying this. Then there's ability. Look at what he says. He says, everything is possible. He recognizes that God is sovereign, right? And everything is possible. He says, look, everything's possible for you. I just want to check with you because I know that you are able to do more than I can even think about what you can do. Everything's possible. And then there's understanding. Look what he says. Please take this cup. Christ was well aware of the cup he was about to drink. He had understanding of the depth of the risk and the reward of that cup. And then finally, there was obedience because what does he say? Yet. I love that word. Uh, King James or New King James says nevertheless. Right? Nevertheless. He declares that. Even though this is the facts, even though this is reality, I'm going to obey you. Because I think, this is just me, Jesus' will is probably pretty good. Right? I mean, this is not like Jesus is way out there with it. He probably had a good idea. There's probably another way. But he says, I don't even want to explore that. Because really the reality is there wasn't another way. Right? There was only one way. And in his humanness, he's voicing it so that we can even understand how to surrender in a crisis. Are we still good? Okay, so let's, let's go through a few things here. And this is your turn. So I want to take you through three things. I want to take you through this to think about this theologically, philosophically, and practically. When we get to the philosophical part, there are some things that I want you to write down in those gaps. You got your pens. Everybody's got a paper. We're all good. Some new people came in. They might need some papers. Um, so you can write that in. And then when we get to the decisions, these are decisions you are going to write down. I'm just going to walk you through this uh, very, very quickly, as, soon, as quickly as possible. You can engage in this later. So when we talk about what we believe, so theolo theologically, what we understand and what we are willing to believe and how these things that Christ shows in this text relate to us. So when it comes to our relationship, relationship, this is what we have to uh, choose to believe, right? That God is for us because he's love. We have to choose to believe that theologically, that the relationship that Jesus had with his father is the same one, and we read that text before, that God intends for us to have with him. He is our father, and we are his children, right? He is not uh, the, the God. And I love um, what our sister shared with us in, during that song that was so powerful to share her testimony, that she's showing that her view of God has changed. And so this is believing, choosing to believe that God is my father, and he is for us, and he loves us, right? And I put some scriptures there. Do you guys have those? You, do you guys have uh, Jeremiah 29? If you, okay, um, I, it should be on your paper, right? So, right? It's not. Well, write this down. Then. Jeremiah 29, 11. 
and uh, I can read it um, to you. I'll put it on the screen, Jeremiah 29, 11, or if it's on the screen, oh, good, he's got it. Here's what God says. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for your good, not for disaster, to bring you a future and a hope. Right? Now, there's also Romans 8.28. Write that one down right next to that. Uh, Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes everything, we read this last week, to work together for the good of those who, are, who love God and are called according to his what? So you guys know what that word means now. Purpose for them. So, you got to choose to believe that God is for you and that he loves you. When it comes to communication, this is what you got to choose to believe theologically. Okay? That he hears us, but he also speaks to us. Think about your, your, your communication with God. And if you were to put a percentage on it, how much of it is you talking and God talking? What's the balance there? Right? Is it like 99% you talking? And then you're like, all right, God, see you later. He's like, wait, wait, what happened? You kind of let me, you know, you got the bubbles, right, in the text message. <laughs> you just already moved on. He's trying to send, send it back to you. Um, he hears us. Got to choose to believe that. He hears us, but he also speaks. He speaks to us. He communicates to us. It's different for everybody. But there's one pure way to do it, and some of the best way to do it is to find out what he's already said, and that's the scripture. So a lot of times he's already spoken, but he does speak. When you look at, uh, let's move to ability. Think about it for us. God's will is that everyone receives salvation. We have to believe that theologically, that in his sovereign will, as we read through Christ, the purpose was, right, for us to be saved. That's his sovereign will. That's what he wants. He wants everyone to be saved. I got a few texts here, but I'll just go to the John 10, 10 text that says, uh, he says, the thief's plan, right, his purpose or his will, his desire is to steal, y'all know this, kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So God has the ability to save you. I, don't, I don't really don't want to skip that over because some of you think that God can't save you. You know why you think that? Because you keep trying to save yourself. You're like, no, God, I got this. I, I can do it this way. God's like, come on, this guy's going to drown. Just let him drown. Just get the EMTs ready. Just let them sink right to the bottom. And I have to pull them out and resuscitate them because they keep trying to save themselves. God is able and has the ability to save you. Amen? <laughs> So let that go. Let him do his work. And then we get to understanding. Got to choose to believe this, that God knows what we don't know. Right? He knows what we don't know. Sometimes we make decisions on very limited information. You can fill that in for yourself. Very limited information. Because we don't know everything. And if we believe God is willing to hear us and is, willing and is speaking to us, we can ask him. I mean, that's the advantage we get. Because God sees it. And so we're just saying, God, what do you see? Lift me up like a little child. Put me on my shoulders. Now, my kids are going to struggle with this because I'm short. I got to find a really tall person in the crowd, say, can you put my son on your shoulders? Because he's not going to be able to see over me, even if he's on my shoulders. I need a little extra help. But when you're, you know, when the child sits on your shoulders, they see it from your perspective, right? They say, oh, because they can't see it from here. And sometimes we make a decision from here. We're like, I want to go pet the uh, horses, and I want to pet this, and you're like, you don't see this big roller coaster up here that I'm getting ready to take you to, right? And you're still stuck here with the blocks and, and the farm. Like, I'm trying to move you from the farm to the ride to scare you half to death. That's what I'm trying to take you to that, right? I'm trying to take you to get the funnel cake so we can go home. That's what I'm trying to do. But you can't see that from that perspective. So we got to believe God knows what we don't know. Finally, when it comes to obedience, this is probably the hardest thing. God is asking us to do it. You ever say to yourself, 
that was a good sermon today. I really wish somebody else could have heard that. It's like, uh, <laughs> it was actually you. It was supposed to be for you. That's a good point. I really should tell my cousin that. No, that's you. That's the Holy Spirit impressing you. So God is really asking you to do it. It's obedience. When it comes down to it, a lot of times God's will won't be done because you won't do what he asks you to do. It's just that simple. God, I need you to do this for me. Okay, then do this. Oh, I don't want to do that. Well, then I can't do it. But aren't you God? Yeah. But aren't you you? Because I'm not going to do it for you, right? This one is not my perfected will. I'm not doing that. You do it. You be obedient. Okay, so now, now we're ready for you. Fill in some questions. Are you ready? Some of you A students or A type people have already filled it out, and you're just ready to go home. You're the people I had a problem with in class, just so you know. Anyway, first question Who has God given? You think about God's plan for you this year. Who has He given you? He's given you the Holy Spirit. I love that response. But I'm, I'm talking about a little bit more in terms of, of flesh and blood because the Holy Spirit, he has given us the Holy Spirit, but he also has sent people your way. And sometimes we're so consumed and we're crying about people who left us. But we're not even engaging with the people who are with us. And those are the people God sent to us. Who's he sent to you? Who has he given you? Who's left? Who's still there after all this? Who's still there? Who has God given you? It's a, it's a great thing to understand in terms of what God's will is because, look, he's given you not just the Holy Spirit, which is really amazing to have the Holy Spirit, but he's also given you people. He's also given you a church. He's also given you a community. He says, here, this is for you, and these people are for you, and this person is for your good. So write that down. Just write it down. Who has he given you? Who is it in your life? Has he given you a husband? Has he given you a wife? Has he given you children? Has he given you a neighbor? Has he given you a cousin? Write it down. Just write it down right there. Some of you have already done it. I'll just keep going. Who's God given you? You may need some time to think about it. Here's the other question. When it comes to communication, what has God, what has God heard from me? But what has God said, or what is he trying to say now? Two different things. What has God heard from me? In other words, what have you told God over and over again? Is there something you haven't told him? Is there something you've already told him? And so what has he said about it, and what is he saying about it now? Write that down. What has God heard from me? Has God heard that I don't want to do this? Has God heard that I really want to do this? Has God heard that I really want to make this move? Have you talked to him about it? Has, have you told him? And then, has he spoken to me already about it? Or what is he saying about it now? Maybe he answered that 10 years ago. But what about now? Is this what I should be doing now? Is this where I should be now? Should I move? Should I sell my house? Those are, those are practical questions. But those are things that we have to think about. Have I even told God about that? You can write that down. When it comes to your ability, what are the things that only God can do for me? Write that down. What is, what is something right now or in this year that only God can do for me? I can't do this. It's beyond my ability, but this is the thing that only God can do. He's the only one that can do this. And acknowledging, that's it. I can't, he's the only one that's going to take this away from me, or he's the only one that's going to add this to me, or he's the only one that's going to get me through this. He's the only one. Understanding what brings me the most fulfillment or the most fear. That helps you align what God has envisioned for you because really a lot of the things that God has put inside of you will make sense because it gives you fulfillment. And you may not think that that's something that the church needs, but it is. 
Whatever, whatever gives you so much fulfillment. Man, I just, I could do this. Nobody had to pay, but pay me to do it. I would just do it. A lot of times that is what God is calling you to. And then here's the other side, flip side of that. What is the thing that you fear the most? Because here's the other part of that. A lot of thing, times that's exactly what God is calling you to because that's what you fear the most. That's what you're resistant to, right? That's what you're scared to surrender to. Like you're like, I could never write a book. God's like, oh, my gosh, this guy here is killing me. I got like ten books I'm trying to give him. I'm going to give him a million-dollar book deal, and he's up in here complaining he doesn't want to write a book. It's that simple, but it's that complicated at the same time. What are you afraid of? Write it down. You may not want to write this down, and from somebody's like, I'm afraid of my wife. I'm just going to be straight up. I'm afraid. Just write it backwards or something. Did you write down you're afraid of me? <laughs> okay, just try to help you a little bit. All right. Obedience. Here's a good question to write down for yourself. Why is it so hard for me to do this? Whatever you write down. And what is holding me back? Why is it so hard for me to forgive my ex-husband? Why is it so hard for me to not stay out of my children's business? Why is it so hard for me not to forgive? Why is it so hard for me not to get so angry? Why am I held back? Why don't I quit this job? Why am I still here? What am I afraid of? What's holding me back? Why don't I start this business? Why don't I open that new store? What is, what is going on? Write that down. Why is it so hard for me? Those are philosophical questions you can ask. Okay, let's move to the practical decisions. This is helping you so far? All right, good. Here's a relationship question or uh, answer that you want to write down. I'm doing this for boom. Because you know sometimes we do stuff for the people that aren't in the list that we wrote before of who God has given. Do you know sometimes we buy stuff just because the neighbor got it? Don't look at me directly if you did that. But I'm saying, like, a lot of times we're dressing up for people who ain't even looking at us. We're doing this for people who don't even care. We're staying extra hours for a boss who will fire you, who's already going to fire you because he's got somebody else that he's going to replace you with. I mean, let's just be honest here. What are we doing this for? Are we doing this for my loved ones. Are we doing it for God? Are we doing it for ourselves? Sometimes there are things you need to do for yourself. But what, who are you doing this for? And this, again, is subjective to you. What are you doing this for? Communication. I will dedicate time to hear from God by doing what? What are you going to do to dedicate time? I'm going to hear from God. On my way to work, my drive out to Hanford, I'm not going to listen to any radio I'm not going to talk to anybody. I'm not going to be listen to my phone, my podcast. I'm going to talk to God. In fact, I'm going to listen to him all the way there, complete silence. What's the space you're going to create? Design it. Write it down. The Bible says, write the vision, make it plain. Write it down. Okay, we doing good? I, ability. Let's put this text up if you got this one, Deuteronomy 8, 14 through 18. I want to be in a position to give more of time, resources. What is it? I love this text in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, verse 14 through 18. God says to his people, don't become proud at that time, talking about a future time when they were going to inherit their inheritance, and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. We can apply it to ourselves. Don't forget God when you get off the drugs. Don't forget God when your marriage is restored. Don't forget God when you've overcome it and you've been promoted. Don't forget him. He's the same God who brought you from where you were and healed you. Don't forget that he led you through the great terrifying wilderness with poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did a new thing for you. He did this to humble you and to test you for your own good. And he did this so you will never say to yourself, I have achieved. Those are bad words for Christian. That's a Christian cuss word. I have achieved. 
It's a bad word. Somebody says that. Slap them in the face if they're at church. I <laughs> forget it. I have achieved this wealth with my. That's two slaps. I have achieved slap with my own slap two times. Strength and energy. Really? Here's what God says about that. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one, and the, and the King James would say, who gives you the ability to gain wealth, who gives you the power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he has confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Here's what I want to say about that. As I was thinking about this and praying for this, you know the biggest obstacle to God's vision for your life? Most of us is our job. If we work or if we go to school, it's that. You know why? It completely consumes us. And we have shifted in a culture where that becomes primary, where we, have, we don't have time for anything else because we have to do our job. And God says, I'm the one who gives you the ability to gain wealth. Wealth, a lot of people would say, is health. Are we on the same page here? He will give you the ability to gain more. You have to recognize that God is the one who even gives you the ability to do this. So don't put that in front of God. Don't say, I don't have enough time to do what you're calling me to do because you are limiting and compressing what God can do with you. If you say to yourself, man, you have a big vision, and I see what you're trying to do with this church. I see what you're trying to do with me. So therefore, I'm going to reorient myself, put you first, and allow you to increase my ability to do more. When you surrender that way, I guarantee this will happen to you. You will be able to do your job easier and faster and better because you have reoriented yourself to say, God gives me ability to be strong in this. And I can do it, and I can be strong, and I'm going to do it in order to fulfill the covenant. All that was was God's vision and will for his people. So he says, don't forget who gives you the power to be successful. Don't start thinking, I got this. So when it comes to being generous, one thing I'm doing this year is, aside from my tithe and offering, my wife and I are deciding and writing down a number that we want to give to the church outside of our tithe and offering. And what we're saying is, God, give us the financial ability to be able to give this. Putting God to the test. Give us the financial ability to give this amount on top of my tithe, on top of our offering. Let's do this. And so however we're going to do it is going to be based on you giving the, me the ability to give that. Some of you don't give a tithe and offering, and all you're saying is, God, can you help me have the ability to do that? So... Let's keep going. Last, last two. Understanding. I want God to teach me more about fill in the blank. Myself, my wife, my husband, parenting, my children. What is the thing that I don't know? I don't know anything about this. And God, I need you to give me understanding in this area. Write that down. Finally, in obedience. In this area, God wants me to keep doing or do more of this. I want to be obedient. I want to be obedient. I want to do it. God wants me to keep doing this. Some of you, it's, it's baby steps. Some of you just need to, just need to say, I'm going to make it to church every week. I'm going to start with that. Then I'm going to actually come a little bit earlier and be involved in a small group or a Sabbath school. And then I'm going to sign up for a team and I'm going to help. And I'm just going to do it step by step. But God wants me to keep doing this or doing more of this. Can I just tell you? That God is asking for more of you? Just because you are gray does not mean you get a pass. Come on, some of y'all can cook, all right? Cook really good. And there's some millennials who need to be invited to your house to learn how to cook. Somebody ought to say, <laughs> I'm just teasing. You just got to say, guess what? I'm feeding people this week, this month. We're going to feed people. You're coming to my house. You don't have to go. You, you can stay for this, but I want you. I've never seen you before. I don't know who you are. I don't know your name. You're coming to my house, and you're going to eat this meatloaf and this big, these big franks, big frank meatloaf. You're going to eat that, and you're going to have this apple pie that I got from Costco, made it look like I made it, and we're going to eat this thing today. 
God's asking for more of you. I, I, w- I would hope that you would feel uncomfortable just coming and leaving. I'm talking about church folk. I'm not talking about people, this is your first time, you're new. I'm talking about people who've been in this a long time, and they feel like, well, I have achieved this level of Adventism. I beat the game, right? I passed it. I'm good. No, you're not good. You are just getting equipped to go out, and we're waiting for you to give up your seat and to serve. I'm going to ask the team to come up and sing now, and as they're coming, we're going to look at this last text as you write this down to kind of capsulize this all in. And I love this because this gives us an understanding of how Jesus pushed through in that moment of crisis. He pushed it through. Man, he worked hard. It's on the screen. Thank you so much. It's what it says. Therefore, let's read it together. How about that? Can we do that? Therefore, out loud, by the way, it's old school. You read it out loud. Back in the day, we used to. Ready? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You see that? The race God set before you. His purpose for you. He says, you know what? They can beat this race. He says, you know what? I got a gold medal, and I'm waiting for them to do this. This is going to be good. Let's keep going. We do this by keeping our eyes. We didn't say that louder, though. We kind of whispered that. Can we say that a little bit louder, Jesse? Can we give everybody a mic say it that loud? Try it again. We do this by doing what? Keeping our eyes. Y'all saying it, you're just saying it like, like it's a good idea. I'm trying to have you read it like it's foundational. Like this is how this works. Can we try it again? I told you it's a black church today. We're going to do this right. Let's do it. <laughs> we do this. That's how we get it done. Let's keep going. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy, he endured, disregarded its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor. That's how he pushed through. Because he saw you. He saw me. And he said, God, your will and this cup is a part of it, I'm going to take this cup because of what I'm looking for on the other end of this cup. What I'm looking to see and what I want to do is to see your will come together and that this whole entire human race has the opportunity to receive salvation. And that's what we got to do. Put ourselves in that perspective to say, God, you're trying to do something with me this year. You're trying to do something with our family. You're trying to ask us for more. You're pushing us. I wrote some things down today, and I've got to stretch, and I've got to grow. And I want to think about what's on the other end of this. What happens when my child comes back to church? What happens when the marriage gets restored? What happens when I'm able to move on? from being left behind. What happens when I take this new adventure? It's worth it. It's worth it for me to keep my eyes on Jesus because you know what happens? We keep our eyes on Jesus and then we're surprised when he returns. Surprised in a good way because we're working so hard and we're looking at him and we don't even notice that before long, Jesus says, guess what? I wrapped this thing up. You guys took care of business. You've got as many people as were possible, brought them in, and I'm so excited. And so, church, we just got to keep our eyes on Jesus because the news is going to tell you one thing, and your friend's going to tell you another thing, and your bank account's going to do one thing, and Sally Mae's going to call you, and the doctor's going to give this report, and it's going to be crisis after crisis and problem after problem. But when you focus on Jesus, he will lead you to something greater because he sees something you don't see, and he knows stuff that you don't know. And when you get a vision of what he has for his life, I'm preaching now, God's trying to lead you into something greater so don't settle for cheap don't slow down 
Don't give up. Just keep your eyes on God. Look at this paper. Fill it out. Look at it. Read it. Decide today that I want more, and I want what God is calling me for. I want to pray for you today. We're going to sing. Father God, thank you so much for today. Lord, I don't know who today is going to leave here differently, but I pray for them right now. I pray that for someone who wanted to give up, who wanted to decide to do something different, for a marriage that's in trouble, for a parent who's overwhelmed, for someone who's facing a significant financial crisis, that they will begin to see that you see something greater, you see something bigger, and your vision for this world includes us. So we pray, oh God, that we will surrender to you now. Some of us need to just give our heart to you one more time or for the first time. And may we surrender to your will in this new season of our life, in this new place we're walking into. And Lord, may you get all the glory and all the praise. And may the wisdom of your kingdom be seen in the church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.